You're listening to audio from Plank Grove Harvest Church located in Crossville, Tennessee. If you'd like more information about our church and its various ministries, please visit our website at www.plankgroveharvest.org. We try to keep you alert. It says, be alert, stand fast, watch and pray. So we're trying to keep you, keep you up and active there. Let's look at our scripture verse there. It's Isaiah 55. See, Henry, that's what you get for mocking me before the service right there, brother. <laughs> no, no, no. It's all your fault, brother. Let's see our verse here. Isaiah 55, brother. We do have. All right. Well, you should know it because you were supposed to be memorizing. I'm going to tell you. I'm going to read it. When I have a lot going on in the head, there's, not, there's no telling what I'll come up with. But we're in Isaiah 55, starting at verse 6. And let's begin together. Seek the Lord while he may be found. Call upon him while he is near. Let the wicked forsake his way and the unrighteous man his thoughts. Let him return to the Lord and he will have mercy on him and to our God for he will abundantly pardon. For my thoughts are not your thoughts nor are my ways your ways, says the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways and my thoughts than your thoughts. All right. Do we get it on there? How are we doing on that? Are people working on that? If you work on it a little bit at a time, it's a lot easier than trying to memorize it all in one deal there. I wanted to tell you about one other thing, and Mark has a different... I pray you're all active in the ministry that God's called you to do, different people doing different ministering things. One thing that Mark Mickelson right here is doing... Michelson? Mickelson, sorry. If I said it wrong, sir, I can never remember. You told me, but I don't remember. Um, but Mark has a lot to do with, uh, with uh, you know, working the rescue mission, working with locals on the street, homeless, and so on. And one thing that, um, uh, if you want to talk to him about this, they're having a thing at the, at the playhouse, kind of how to apply that Narcan for those that are having a drug overdose. If you want to talk to him, talk to him about that. They're doing that this week, and he's wanting to see if anybody's interested in going to that. Maybe you can go and, and be a part of that with him, learning how to do that. You know, you can, you can dislike the effects of drug abuse in our, in our country, in our community. I hate it. I hate to see those people walking around down, downtown uh, where they let them out of the mission during the day. They can't stay at the mission, so they're wandering around town. And they are, it's definitely a negative on our community to watch that. I pray that you're witnessing to them. I pray that they're restored from that. I know that there's got to be demonic oppression involved in that because I've seen how it controls people, no different than alcoholism or or pornography addiction, or any other kind of addiction. There's actually, it, it's got to be some kind of demonic form in that oppression and um, that keeps those people in that. They don't want to be that way, largely, but it takes them, like the prodigal son, coming to themselves and recognizing that's not where they want to be, and only then can they be rescued from it. And so, until then, uh, we have to deal with the, the symptoms as it affects our community, and those people do the different things that they do. So it, anyway, talk to Mark if you're interested in, in learning about that. Maybe you have the opportunity to, to uh, uh, save a life physically and then reach a life spiritually uh, by your witness in that. Okay, we're going to start in 1 Peter. We've, we've been talking about the peace of God that surpasses all understanding. And now we're going to go to 1 Peter. And um, maybe we could amplify that, that one scripture at the end of 1 Peter uh, 1, 2, where it says, Grace to you and peace be multiplied. 
it's really exciting. It's a double-edged sword. A lot of you are just like, oh, I've really, thanks for telling me we're going to go to Peter next. And, and then you're like, oh, I've really been reading. I've read it through, I don't know, Emily told me. I can't remember Emily. And then uh, Jan, like, I read through it like five times. I'm like, great. How am I supposed to stay ahead of these people that are that studious? You know, It's a double-edged sword, and I appreciate it that you're being good Bereans and studying to show yourself approved. I really appreciate that. But it does put a little pressure on a guy to make sure that the word that's spoken is the word that God has for us today and that it's truthful and that it's honoring to the scriptures. That's very important. So if I misspeak or miss some key doctrine, um, uh, I, I don't want to do that. I don't want to be a heretical or apostate. I want to preach the word as it's written in the word, and I want to be careful that we're covering it correctly, um, rightly dividing the word of truth. It's easier said than done. It takes, it takes a lot of time. And so if you catch me on something, um, sometimes what I, you know, uh, I may just say the wrong name thinking of another name, but you're, you're free to come up and tell me that, and um, I will receive it with a merry heart, and then I'll talk bad about you later. But I'm glad that you are listening, and I'm glad that you're studying yourselves. To begin, we almost come almost immediately into this word, the elect, and so what I want to warn you about beforehand is um, it's going to, it may, I don't think a lot of people get really torn up about this in our fellowship as far as getting off on, on particular doctrines and really dwelling in some doctrines, but some people do. And so I'll do my very best to handle that word as we approach those doctrines surrounding Calvinism and predestination and election and, and um, things like that. Uh, I, I just, if we were going to really get into something like that deep, I wouldn't want to do it on a Sunday morning. I don't, uh, that would be a Sunday night thing. If that's what you want to study, we can study that as much as you want to, and we'll do it on a Sunday night sometime if that's really of great interest to you. But, uh, but for today, I don't believe focusing on the minute details of, of any of those topics, any of those doctrines, is what God's called us to be concerned about in this day uh, that we exist in today. If you happen to notice, maybe you watch the news, maybe you don't, but it's pretty easy to see that we're in times very similar to the times that First Peter, First Second Peter talk about. We have heretical pastors, we have false teachers, we have paganism running rampant, we have wickedness like we've never seen in our country. It may have existed in other countries, but it was so distant, and now it's here and to observe these things here is a very difficult thing for us as believers. And to see persecution on the horizon. You know, they arrested those pastors in Canada during the, the COVID thing and um, different things just for preaching in the pulpit. And now they're getting on them for preaching anything about homosexuality or anything like that. And so it really puts the pressure on the pastors. As the pastors get pressure, the sheep get nervous. And so we, gotta, we have to consider that. That's who Peter is talking to, those same kind of people. The purpose of the books of Peter are not, uh, though those doctrines are approached, that's not the purpose of the book. The purpose of the book was to stand true in all kinds of suffering and to set forth the true grace of God in the life of the believer. That's the purpose of the book. All of the Bible is that. All of the Bible is to draw men into reconciliation with the Father. What happens is men get occupied or get myopic or really focused on a single principle and they make whole doctrines about that principle but for the body of christ that's not necessarily the most important thing that we can focus on we need to be built up individually in spirit and in truth day by day in love for one another love for the father love in all heart soul mind and strength love for the neighbor for yourself 
walking in faith, being filled with the Spirit. We need to have all those things going on. And if you can got all those going on and you got time to deal with a particular doctrine or another, eschatology or end times or, or, or whatever your thing is, then fine. But I don't think that's the purpose of the, of the message from the pulpit on a particular Sunday morning. There is time for that. There's interest in that. But um, let's keep the main thing the main thing. Peter was this early apostle. He walked with Christ. He knew Christ personally. He walked around with Christ for at least three years. It's, it's thought that when Christ would have picked up these apostles, these young uh, students, these guys would have been between 13 and 15 years old. We always see the pictures of the, of the apostles, and they're like these old gray beards, you know, and they're studying the word with Jesus. And that wasn't the case in general. The rabbis would have chosen young men that they could influence, and they would teach them to walk in the way of the rabbi. Jesus, a rabbi, takes these students and he raises them up as students and makes them from, say, that he gets them at 15, say, and he takes them to 18, 19 years old, or maybe he gets them a little older than that. But he takes them when you're still malleable. You get to be 25, 30 years old, you're not hearing like you would at 15, 18 from an older man that's going to talk to you and, and speak the word into you. So he was a relatively young guy. He gets a lot of bad, um, bad news a lot of times, bad press. Um, because he was a big mouth. Well, how were you at 15? How were you at 17? You said stuff you shouldn't say. You thought things you shouldn't thought, and you acted in ways that were dramatic and, and whatever, expressive. We're, and then as you got age on you, you got better control of those, of those things and those personality um, flaws that you didn't have control of when you were 15 or younger. So thinking about that, as we read this, when Peter stands before men, he only writes two books, First and Second Peter. But we know his work because we can go to Acts and see what he did in the book of Acts. There in Acts chapter 2, it says, But Peter, standing with the eleven, raised his voice. He says, Let it be known, this Jesus who you crucified. And he goes, he goes after him. He was well established in the word in his time with Christ. He was well, he, he became completely in understanding with what was going on um, with those uh, in those times, though he wasn't under a rabbi like Paul was, like Gamaliel, this one that takes him from Genesis to Revelation, he sees the gospel presented in a truly spiritual slash human form, as in everything that Jesus speaks and everything he does is the exact image of the Father. I and the Father am one. He's with God. God dwells in me. I dwell in him. I and the Father am one. And when the when the when the Pharisees hear that, they're furious, of course, because Jesus is identifying himself as God. So we got to see Jesus. He says, I didn't come to com uh, change the law, but I came to complete the law. So everything that the law is in the flesh, walking around, and Peter saw that. And it encouraged him to be this great pastor or this great evangelist or gospel spreader that he was. By this time, it's, he speaks about Babylon and eventually, because of the pressures of persecution on the church, a lot of Christians and Jews, period, got pushed out of, uh, of Judea, of Jerusalem. They just got put, you, you're making a run, like we say, make a run for the border. Remember the old Taco Bell commercial? They made a run for the border because it wasn't safe in Jerusalem to be a Jew. It really wasn't safe to be a Christian Jew, to be a believer in Christ and be a Jew. Because now you're getting persecuted by the Romans and by your Jewish brothers. And so he's writing this book to those of the dispersion and doing their thing. So he's trying to get those people 
ready for persecution. They're living in a time that's very pagan, like we live today, in a time of persecution, which you're about to see, I'm telling you. Open your eyes and you'll see that it's coming. It's very close. It's closer than it's ever been. Uh, we, we all want to escape the tribulation, but I'm telling you, there's a time of suffering that's coming for believers in the United States of America where you're going to have to be loyal and faithful to God Most High, and you're going to have to prove that. Jesus himself said, if you deny me before men, I'll deny you before my Father. It's going to be a proof of your salvation that you do not deny Christ before men, that you act and live and, and, and breathe as a believer in Christ every day as you go about and do your your life here. Go and make disciples. It's as you're going. You're going anyway. You're going to the store anyway. Going to town anyway. Make disciples. That's the calling of Christ on you. Peter understood it. Let's read this first. Uh, we're just going to read 1 Peter 1, 1 through, uh, I believe, 13. 1 through 13. 1 Peter 1, 1 through 13. Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to the pilgrims of the dispersion in Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia, elect according to the foreknowledge of God the Father and sanctification of the Spirit for obedience and sprinkling of the blood of Jesus Christ. Grace to you and peace be multiplied. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who according to his abundant mercy has begotten us again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to an inheritance incorruptible and undefiled and that does not fade away, reserved in heaven for you, who are kept by the power of God through faith for salvation, ready to be revealed in the last day. In this you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while, if need be, you have been grieved by various trials, that the genuineness of your faith, being much more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to praise, honor, and glory at the revelation of Jesus Christ whom having not seen you love, though now you do not see him, yet believing, you rejoice with joy inexpressible and full of glory, receiving the end of your faith, the salvation of your souls. Of this salvation the prophets have inquired and searched carefully, who prophesied of the grace that would come to you, searching what or what manner of time the Spirit of Christ who was in them was indicating when he testified beforehand the sufferings of Christ and the glories that would follow. To them it was revealed that not to themselves, but to us, they were ministering the things which now have been reported to you through those who have preached the gospel to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven, things which angels desire to look on, into. Therefore, gird up the loins of your mind, be sober, and rest your hope fully upon the grace that is to be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. So, again, I tell you, as this book is written, you look in that very first part, we're not going to get past verse 2 today. We'll get further next week, but we're just kind of introducing it today. But in that verse 1 and 2, you see that who it's written to is to the pilgrims of the diaspora, the dispersion of the Jews. God did a, he does what he does to get men to move. If you recall, something very similar happened at the Tower of Babel. He told Noah, be fruitful, multiply, fill the earth, cover the whole earth. He told Adam that. He tells Noah that again. And what happens is everybody goes to this plain of Sinar where it's safe and we all accumulate together because it's like chickens. We all want to get in there under that one heat lamp and stay close. We all get real close together. And it says of them in that time of Babylon, they begin to build the Tower of Babel. And it says of them that 
the God looking down on them says, once they build this, there's nothing that they won't be able to do. I didn't tell you to go over there and build a city. I told you to fill the earth. And so what does he do? He makes it, he puts pressure on them so that it's uncomfortable for them to dwell together, but it would be more comfortable to go and fill the earth. And so he changes the languages of men at that time, and we get the 70 nations that fill the earth. And they go all over, and they disperse, and they keep spreading out. It's kind of interesting. If you've ever been on a mission trip, um, I will tell you what it's like, both not knowing the language and knowing the language. So the first ever how many times I went to South America or places where they spoke Spanish, and I would go there for, say, 10 to 15 days, and all you hear is Spanish. It's very stressful. Um, and then you go to the airport, and, and then you get back whenever you first come back to the States, and people are all speaking English. It's like, it's like a relief to hear people speak in your language. And oftentimes people on their first mission trip will go, and they stand, they're like so terrified of this other language. It's not that they're terrified, it's a, it adds a stress to you, okay? And so we got interpreter, you know, whatever, Juan here, and they just attach themselves to that guy and won't get any like, what did he say? What did he say? Well, tell him this. What did he say? What did he say? And they spend the whole time on their mission trip, and what it is, it's the stress of hearing this language that you're not comfortable with, um, and you know they're talking about you. They don't, they're like us. They don't really talk about you except that you're very tall and very white looking compared to them. And they're like, oh, they're so tall and so white. And then, but, but after that, they don't, they're like us. We kind of ignore what goes on around us. They got their own thing going on, right? And we're like, he must be talking about me. They're not talking about you. It's just how they sound. It's a different language, you know? And when you finally, you get relief when you get around people that speak your language. Tower of Babel, same thing. God put pressure on them. Everybody's speaking these crazy languages all of a sudden. And so, you know, birds of a feather flock together. And so you get the birds that speak English over here. Well, I probably have English in, but Hebrew over here, Greek over here, Latin over here, or whatever. And as they got in those languages and they felt more comfortable, they went and settled in this area. And then, and then it eventually spread out and filled the earth. Where we have the language dysfunction, that's where we end up with wars with each other. I was talking to Mr. Alva about that. Even in the Spanish-English thing, we can really like one another, but we use terms that mean different things than what the person speaking Spanish uh, receives it as. One, one of the words I know is one, will we say something is about, we'll say, um, well, this, this plant here, it's about $10. And then Hispanic guy comes up, and he goes to buy the plant, he gives you $10, and say, well, yeah, well, it's $12. It is about $10, but it's not $10. But they're very precise in that. They're like, well, you're lying to me. You told me it was $10. I didn't say it was $10. I said it was about $10. And so it's a word that seems common to us or simple to us if we were trading a car or something like that. Well, what do you think it's going to bring? Yeah, maybe 10000 I don't know. About something like that, maybe. And it turns out to be, you know, 10500 They're really frustrated. They hear one thing. They hear what you said, but they put a different meaning to the word. So what it does is it causes separation. That's why the Spanish speak the Spanish over here and the English speak the English over here. Same thing happened with these people here. The Christians were very attached to one another. It's the chickens again. They were, they were afraid. There was persecution all around them. And God said, I'm going to make it so I told you, go make disciples in all the earth, not stay in Jerusalem. And they're like, but it's really safe right here in Jerusalem. He's like, zap, major persecution. And they're like, okay, we got to get out of here. And so the, 
the dispersion of the gospel went with the dispersion of the people. It was God's direct pressure on people to make them move so that the gospel went around. Otherwise, we'd have never got it. It would have never left Jerusalem. It would have stayed right there. And so sometimes when you see God's hand moving, we don't necessarily see it as God's hand moving. We see a negative thing, and we assume that's just the pressures of man. But it could be God positioning people to present the gospel somewhere else or to do whatever ministry he's called them to do. So try to look at it in that way. So these pilgrims are those that were pressured to leave the area. Well, Peter's keeping in contact with them. And in fact, it's very possible, a lot of Catholics have this view that Peter ended up in Rome, but he's talking about Babylon. He's talking about these people, large, a lot of these cities are in uh, Turkey. So it's to the east it's not to where Italy is. It's, on the, it's the other direction where Turkey is today. And so it's very likely, the Catholics call him the first pope and so on, but it's very likely that he was never in Rome. It's much more likely that he was in either from Babylon, where Syria in that direction, or up into Turkey. He's much more likely to be over there than to be in Rome. And it's to these people that he's trying to minister to. And if you don't think there was persecution in Jerusalem, it was a different flavor there in Turkey because we have all the gods and all the temples and the, the Greek influence and all that stuff that was going on there. So those people there were under a lot of pressure there as well because they wanted to blend in, but the culture wouldn't let them, just like today. If you're going to be a Christian, you should stand out today because the world is so wicked. Okay, tell you all that to tell you. Um, to the pilgrims, look at how these pilgrims are described. So if we cut out the names, you know, if we just made it to the people of Crossville, to you here today, the elect, according to the foreknowledge of God the Father, and sanctification of the Spirit, for obedience and sprinkling of the blood of Jesus Christ, grace to you, and peace be multiplied. To begin with, I want to start with that word elect, <clears throat> and this is what I want to say. God has a purpose that involves the potential to save all men of all time. Okay? Begin there. Um, and any who will conform to his salvation plan, the one that he offered through his son, that's the only one, I'm the way, the truth, and life, no one comes to the Father but through me, has to go through Christ, that one, Jesus Christ, will be saved. Whoever conforms to the plan of God, that is Jesus Christ, sacrificed on our behalf, sprinkled us with the blood of his atonement, you will be saved. It says in Ephesians 2, 8 and 9, it's by grace you've been saved through faith, not of yourselves, not of works. It's a gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. There's nothing you can do. There's nothing, no, no fancy move you can make, not a keeping of the law or anything. For by grace alone you've been saved through faith, not of yourselves, nothing you can do. It's gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. Knowing that, here's where I stand on this uh, doctrine of election thing. Every person that ever lived has had an opportunity to receive Christ. You say, before you come up with your arguments, you have your views on that. But in some way or another, the Lord has made it possible for men to recognize that there is a God. You can see it in Romans chapter 1, that all of nature proclaims the Creator. There is a creator. It's just like there's a building here. That means there's a builder. It didn't magically fall out of the sky in this shape and with this carpet and you know, whatever, this paint job. 
In fact, I know the creators. I know the ones, the designers and the builders of this building. I mean, I was one of them. Mr. Ostrander was one of them. Um, they, you know, even Sarah laid the, the carpet here, uh, Sarah that used to sing here. I mean, I know the people. I know it just didn't magically appear here. Much greater is all of creation from the tiniest, you know, bug or atomic particle to the trees to everything else, every animal and every person had to be designed or it wouldn't work. Things with poor design fail quickly and the earth hasn't failed. It's still here. The trees are still here. There's 2,000 years old trees um, in, in the Holy Land. You know, they say some of the redwoods out there are over 1,000 years old. They haven't failed. They're still growing. They're still alive. There's still processes going on from the roots to the tips of the leaves. There's stuff going on, and it always has, and it always will until it's completely destroyed and a new heaven and a new earth is created by God. Again, created, designed, and put in place by God. And until then, uh, will exist on this earth under creator. So you say, well, this person never heard the name of Christ. It doesn't matter because if they desire to know him, he will make himself known to them because all of creation proclaims who the father is, who the creator is. I, wisdom, was with him in the beginning. In the beginning was the word. The word was God. The word was with God. Christ was there. He's a part of the creative power of God. He was there. He was with God in the beginning. Everything that was created was there. Um, so either through a vision, through a dream, through a missionary, through a pastor, through a miracle, every person has had the opportunity to decide whether or not they want to be obedient to the grace of God and the provision of the sacrifice of His Son. I'm not... Uh, like your, your most hardcore Calvinist guy, he, he doesn't even hardly believe in, in um, what's the word, witnessing. Because if they're going to be saved, they're going to be saved. I don't believe that. We're called to be ministers of the gospel to the nations. We're called to witness to others about the hope that's within us. But this free gift of salvation and the sacrificial death of Christ is presented in nature, it's presented through missionaries. We, we're hearing today, you can read Voice of the Martyrs, and you'll see these people having dreams and visions, and that's what the Bible says in Joel, in the last days. Old men will have dreams, young men will have visions. They'll have them, because the Messiah is not willing that any would perish, but that all would come to repentance. And it says, God desires all men everywhere to be saved. In Isaiah 45, 22, that's in the Old Testament. God wants all men to be saved. He's not willing that any would perish. That verse says God is not willing. The Father is not willing that man would be separated from him. It's man's decision. Remember what he said. He who did not spare his own son, but delivered him up for us all. That God was willing to sacrifice his own son for those that he delivered up to, which is all. God the Father didn't send his world, son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world might be saved through him. The whole world might be saved through him. The possibility is there for the entire world to be saved through Christ. So I don't really, that, that's enough for me. It says, if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, believe in your heart, God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Very simple little process. Confess, 
and, and in this obedience and following. That's enough. I don't have to argue, you know, the predestination or the election or, or a, a, you know, a whatever, a second blessing. I don't have to argue any of those things because the Bible tells me in the Old Testament and the New that God demonstrated his own love towards us and yet while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. All y'all. Ewans. Yunzes, as they say here. He died for us all. You know, Yunzes is like plural of Yuns. There's y'all, it's like you two, and then there's Yuns, like some of y'all, and then there's Yunzes, which is all y'all. Just to clear that up for any non-Southern people that may be here today. So I don't have to argue that to know in my spirit that each man will stand before God individually and be judged, every man, according to his works. Faith without works is dead. Every man, according to his works, will stand before God and be judged. It's appointed once for man to die and then the judgment. Every single man is going to croak, and woman and child, is going to croak, and is going to stand before God on that day and be judged. The choice to provide atonement for sin is the option that the Father chose. This is the manner that he decided on to rescue men from death. It was 100% his decision. Him and the son planned this out, and they have the, they're the only ones that had the ability to provide this miraculous thing, to do it. It's one thing to say, we're going to sacrifice Ed on a cross over here for the sins of the church, but the reality is, if we were to do so, the only thing we would do is injure Ed and Linda. And, and it wouldn't provide anything for us, but God tells us that by the sacrifices his son, of his son, it provides life to any who would believe in him because of the blood of God that was shed that day. That's what it says. The very blood of God was shed that day for us. The sprinkling of the blood on us. So who's the elect? I told you all that to ask you the question. Who's the elect? It says to the elect, to the pilgrims, to the elect, according to the foreknowledge of God, who's the elect then? We're the elect. Any who were saved are the elect. Well, how do I know? Was I elected like I was elected? To it doesn't matter. If you're saved, you're the elect. It doesn't matter how you got to be the elect. You're the elect. If you believed in Christ, you're operating filled with the Spirit, sprinkled by His blood, you're the elect. And that should be enough for you. The elect are those who in faith accepted the sacrifice of Christ in the New Testament, and those that followed in obedience and faith in the Old Testament for the coming Messiah. That's the elect. Either, both, and. That's the elect. Uh, if you want to kind of check me up on that, you can go back to Hebrews 11 and that, that list of the, the uh, honorariums of, of God there, the honored, um, the wall of heroes there. You can go there and you'll see how those men in the Old Testament, men and women, how they were considered saved. And those weren't the only people that were saved, by the way. That's just the, that's just the top drawer ones, right? They're the ones that did the most. Elijah, you know, those types. Abraham, Moses. Um, so it's not our concern to know. It shouldn't be your concern. It shouldn't be the thing that provides stress or pressure in your life to know how many people in the Old Testament were saved or how many people in the day that we exist in today are saved. You do your part present the gospel to all who will hear. You make sure that you're saved. 
And, and then you can leave some of these, these heavier things for those that want to study heavy things. Because it's going to take you down where you don't need to be taken down. It's not our concern to know. Mark 16, 16. He who believes and is baptized will be saved. Luke 13, 3. Unless you repent, you will all likewise perish. Well, there you go. Repentance unto salvation. Uh, 1 Timothy 2, 3 and 4. God our Savior who desires all men to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. For there is one God and one mediator between God and men, the man, Christ Jesus, who gave himself a ransom for all in due time. For how many? For all. There's, a, there's an unlimited amount of grace provided for an unlimited number of people that would choose to accept it. And that's the elect. You can be in the elect. If you're not in the elect, um, maybe we can figure that out today. Let me try one more time. The thing that matters the most, looking at this, to the elect, according to the foreknowledge of God the Father, in sanctification of the Spirit, for obedience and sprinkling of the blood of Jesus Christ, grace to you and peace be multiplied. The question that needs to be answered the most, the most important thing that you need to hear today, is are you saved? Are you the elect? I wouldn't worry about another person in the universe, not my kids, not my dog, not the neighbors, not, unless I knew that I knew that I knew that I was saved. If you're drowning... Don't try to save the guy that's drowning beside you. Swim to shore. If you're unsaved, today is the day of your salvation. Are you living? Are you being obedient to the call of the Most High? I want you to go to 2 Peter 1. Are you living according to these promises in 2 Peter? We're going to do both of these books, and of course they tie together. 2 Peter really, really works on the the apostates that, and the false teachers that come into the church. But look at what he's calling the saved people to. At Second Peter chapter 1, look how it starts again. Grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord. As his divine power has given to us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of him who called us by glory and virtue. How? Who? What? How, how is the elect supposed to live? Right here. But in godliness through the knowledge of him who calls us by glory and virtue, by which we have been given to us exceedingly great and precious promises. Again, you can grab onto that, that those that through these you may be partakers of the divine nature. Oh. As a believer, you gain the nature of Christ by the indwelling of the Holy Spirit, having escaped the corruption that is in the world through lust. You've put those things behind you. That's the old man. Now you're the new man. But also for this very reason, giving all diligence, add to your faith virtue, to virtue knowledge, to knowledge self-control, to self-control perseverance, to perseverance godliness, to godliness brotherly kindness, to brotherly kindness love. For if these things are yours and abound, not just yours in a small measure, but an overflowing abundance, you will be neither barren, that means unable to have children or offspring, nor unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. So this is, the, this is the thing that you need to see here first. A believer, those of the elect, should have these virtues, should have these traits in him. But the thing about it is this is a thing given to you. It says it's a precious promise. That through these promises, 
you can be partakers of the divine nature. When you apply these traits, these virtues to you, to yourself, you are a partaker of the divine nature. You have power over the sin nature which has controlled you up until this point in your life. Where before the old sin nature has kept you crushed down and, and kept you from performing at your highest now you have these new nature. You have this nature of Christ, the mind of Christ, so that I'm thinking like you're thinking because you're thinking like Christ. And you're thinking like I'm thinking because I'm thinking like Christ. And it develops the body, and it makes the body stronger and more resilient to persecution. And, and the things that we see in the list, first it says giving all diligence. That means working hard at it. Making this a part of what you do, how you are. Faith virtue, knowledge, self-control, perseverance, godliness, brotherly kindness, and love. And it's a stair step. As you develop in these things, as you put more effort to your faith, you gain more knowledge. Your virtue, your virtuousness, the decisions you make are righteous and just and holy, like Christ. Because your virtue uh, measure has changed. Your salt is more saltier Probably like my English, my handling of the English there, more saltier. To knowledge, self-control. One of the biggest problems in our culture, in any of us, is a lack of self-control. We say whatever we think. We think whatever we say is important. We think truth is our truth. We, we have no self-control. We're just, we're like the pinball in there, bouncing off of whatever. Whatever stimulates us at that moment, we glom onto it and make it ours. Godliness, brotherly kindness, and to brotherly kindness, love. If these things are yours, if these you can actually say that these are a measure of the virtue and character of who you are as a person in abundance, if they're yours and they abound, you'll be neither barren nor unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. It says that if you have these things, you can stand before kings and the Lord will give you the word to say to them when you're questioned about your Christianity. You're going to need that. You've got to have answers to those that ask about the hope. But if you don't have God's word hidden in your heart that you may not sin against him, then these things will be undeveloped. You'll be like the guy that goes to the gym all the time and he only works arms. You've got these monster arms and big pecs and you've got these little bird legs. You've got to work the whole body. Yeah, listen up there, lad. You've got to work the whole body. <laughs> His dad's poking him. He's got these huge pumped up biceps, little chicken legs. You got you to gotta work the whole body. I'm sorry, sir. Don't beat me up afterwards. I know you're very young and fit. But this is, this is really key. Look what happens. There's a two-parter right here in Second Peter. It says, verse 9, so we saw all these godly traits and virtues, so on. Verse 9, for he who lacks these things is short-sighted, even to blindness. He's forgotten that he's been cleansed from his old sins. If you're saved, quit living like a hellion. Start living in this way right here. Therefore, brethren, be even more diligent to make your call and election sure. For if you do these things, you will never stumble. Those poor people at the rescue mission, you know, we, we, we talked we talk to them this week and then we give them this verse about, you know, what is it that's going to keep me from stumbling? It's building these virtues of faith and knowledge and self-control and perseverance and godliness and brotherly kindness and love 
It's building those virtues, and those things will make us more aware, give us better discernment as we go about doing good. It will keep us from making bad connections with people we shouldn't be connected with. It will keep us from doing those things that tempt our flesh. It will take our mindset, and when our mind gets off track into these worldly things, we'll, we'll control ourselves. We're like, ah, I kind of like that old movie. And you start watching, it's got a bunch of cussing and whatever in it, and you're like, I don't need that. And you turn it off. That's self-control. We can't let the things, you know, I like this over here. I like this much food. That's why I'm shaped like I am. This, I like this much drink. That's why I can't think clearly, whatever. And it will gain us that self-control again. It will keep us from stumbling. It will make us aware of the things around us. Therefore, make your calling election sure. For if you do these things, you'll never stumble. And here's why. For so an entrance will be supplied to you abundantly into the everlasting kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. I'm nearly positive that these early believers here in 1 Peter were not sitting there hoping that John Calvin, 1,500 years from now, would write a thing about uh, you know, the election of the saints. These people are trying to survive. They're trying to keep their head above water. They're trying not to get killed. And at the same time, they're trying to walk closely with Christ. And that's what I want you to see. Take this in the time that it was written. Um, they were so excited to recognize that they would be counted worthy to be considered of the royal priesthood of the saints. And that was enough. And I fear a lot of us in this day aren't overly concerned about that. We need to be concerned about being kept from stumbling because it says right there, uh, for so an entrance will be supplied to you abundantly into the everlasting kingdom. When you get to the pearly gates, if Peter is in fact the guard, I'm not sure that he is, and he, he's not going to say, you know, what's your view on the doctrine of predestination there, Mark? You know, he's going to, you're going to have to present the scroll of eternal life to him and he's going to open in and he's going to say, enter in good and faithful servant or he's going to say, be cast into the outer darkness. And that's it. That's your only hope. My hope is that I was saved by the sprinkling of the blood of Christ on me because I was a desperate sinner and without him I was hopeless and helpless. And he'll say, Man, you are pitiful. Enter in. And you'll like it. Yeah. Only Christ and him crucified will get the gate open for you. And the, all that other, let, let's make sure we got that part right first. And then you can work on those other things. Like I said, Peter does deal with a lot of those doctrines in a sense. But like I said, he's not he's not doing the kind of deep dive that people do when they get kind of tangled up in that and really focus on that. The God of the universe is so far beyond our understanding. He's an infinite God. And when we try to take infinite things and bring them down into our finite mind, we're really going to struggle to get that put together. So no man can come, uh, come up with a perfect explanation about how all that works and all that God does and is and how he thinks, we can only do the best that we can do as we study his word and, and, um, and break it down. But I wanted to show you this one other word, and that is this word foreknowledge. It says back, we're back in First Peter now. It says to the pilgrims, the elect according to the foreknowledge of God the Father. This foreknowledge means that he knows every plan and every potential hazard that could happen, and he knows exactly what he's going to do in that situation. He knows what you're going to do. He knows what he's going to do. He knows what the neighbor's going to do. He knows what the enemy's going to do. He knows what Satan's going to do. He knows what 
Putin's going to do. He knows what Biden's going to do. He knows. He's not concerned. The Lord sits on his throne and he laughs in derision at the plans of men. We just read that in Psalm 2 this morning. He mocks men. That's the best you can come up with? Watch this, Zap. I mean, so to be born from above or to be born again is to be saved from the fire. And that's the most critical thing. That's the thing that makes you the elect. And if you're not there, then get there first. Get that first. To be obedient to the commands of Christ and the Father, this is what follows as we begin to, you know, buried with Christ in death, raised to walk in newness of life. As we're raised to walk in newness of life, and we begin to walk like that Second Peter 1 said, um, we have a... I mean, newness of life is exactly that. It's new and fresh. Um, I heard uh, you guys got in a little, a little crash there, an older car there, Bill. And, um, and so he's going to take his car, this old car, and he's going to take it to the shop, and they're going to straighten it up and put a new paint job on it. It's going to look better than it's looked in 10 years. Thank God for the deer hitting it, right? Much better the believer who's dead in his, or the unbeliever who's dead in his trespasses and sins and God takes the old man and kills it, and he raises to life a new man, that is the believer, who should walk a different way. That was a good word this morning there, Bradley, old Bradley, now Charles. As Bradley, he was a wicked man running his own way. And as a new man, a saved man, walking with Christ, his name is Charles now. That's a great word. That was a good word this morning, brother. Thank you. That word foreknowledge, it's the Greek word that we get the word prognosis from, where the doctor looks at you and tells you, here's how this is going to turn out. you got about two weeks. The doctor looks at your x-ray, and, and he tells you what all's going on in there. The good father, he knows all these things, does he not? Of course he does. He's past, present, and future. He's looking at all time in an instant, and that's really hard for us to relate to. And not only that, but he ties it all together, the things eternity past to the things eternity future to the things today. And our little timeline is so small, we can't see how it all works together. But it's where we have to have faith and trust in him. So could he know whether or not a person would put themselves under obedience to him? Yes, he can. He can know that. Can he foresee whether or not men would, in fact, crucify Christ, Christ on the cross? Yeah. Did he know that many of those that had a part in the crucifixion would later come to salvation on the very... Uh, you know, by the very man that they killed on the cross. And so he knew that too. And he made it that way. He wasn't willing that any would perish. It says that one scripture, when the people realized what they had done, they began to gnash their teeth. They're sitting at the crucifixion. And it says when they realized what they had done, they began to gnash their teeth. They're watching what they've done and they see it go dark for those three hours, and they hear the Father speak to the Son, and they go, oh man, we have messed up bad. We've killed our only hope. But he didn't stay dead. He rose from the grave. So could you, a terrible sinner, recognize the goodness of God and then humble yourself before him today? Could you do what it says right here? In the sanctification, according to the foreknowledge of God, in the sanctification of the Spirit, for obedience and the sprinkling of the blood of Jesus Christ. Are you willing to take the blood of Christ on yourself today for salvation? And if you are, 
grace and peace be multiplied to you. All you have to do is accept what he told us we had to do. Confess with your mouth, believe in your heart, God raised him from the dead. That belief, it's more than the word believe. Like, I mean, you know, small children believe in Santa Claus. Small children believe in the Easter Bunny. It doesn't make it true. It's belief that's tied directly to obedience. If I just harmed a young child, sorry. Sorry, Gonzo. There's no Santa Claus. Sorry, man. (laughs) Gonzo thought. It says grace to you. God had you in mind when he bestowed his grace. He had you in mind. He was willing to sacrifice his son for you and for me. And without the grace of that, we'll never have peace. We'll never have true peace. We can have temporal, short-term peace, just where we're happy for a day, but we'll never have peace, peace. Grace and peace be multiplied to you. I pray that today is the day of your salvation. If you're here today, you don't know the Messiah, the most important thing we could, we could study on a Sunday would be the fact that Jesus came and died for filthy, filthy sinners, which I'm the worst, and you're the second worst, and he came for you as well. And he's willing by his mercy to save you just like he saved me. And I pray that today you'll hear that word and you'll receive it and you'll go away glad. It's not just believing in his name. There's a lot of people, even the evil one knows the name of Christ. It's not knowing his name. It's allowing his blood to be put upon you for the salvation of your soul. I want to sing a song this this morning. Um, Come on there, Miss Emily. Search me, O God. We'll put the words up. It's an old-timey an old-timey one, but it's a good one. And um, maybe, I'll, maybe I'll have Emily sing this while we, we... Bow your head right there. Let's be in prayer. I want you to listen to this song, and we'll pray afterwards and, and, um, and just commit this to ourselves, okay?
and pride. I now surrender, Lord, in me abide. Oh, Holy Ghost, revival comes from Thee. Send a revival, start the work in me. Psalm 141, we can make this our prayer. It says, Lord, I cry out to you. Make haste to me. Give ear to my voice when I cry out to you. Let my prayer be set before you as incense. The lifting up of my hands is the evening sacrifice. Set a guard, O Lord, over my mouth. Keep watch over the door of my lips. Do not incline my heart to any evil thing to practice wicked works with men who work iniquity and do not let me eat of their delicacies. Let the righteous strike me. It shall be considered a kindness, and let him rebuke me. It shall be as excellent oil. Let my head not refuse it. Father, in the name of Jesus, we come before you, and we, we pray against those sins in our lives. We confess with our mouth that we have done things against you, that we have committed wickedness in our hearts and our minds, through our lips, through our hands, through our feet, running swiftly to evil. Have mercy, Lord, for those that might be here that need Salvation today, Lord, I pray you prick their hearts. Holy Spirit, convince them that today is the day. There'll be no other. We may not have another. We don't know when our next breath is. We ask for your mercy now, Lord. I pray that they would call out in repentance and faith, Jesus, save me, and that you would accept that as enough. Thank you for your goodness towards us, Lord. I pray for these that are here today and they've they've heard your word. I pray that it's convicting in spirit, Lord, and it's... it's um, Pleasant to the ears, but like the scroll, it's sour to the stomach. I pray that it, it forces us, Lord. It convicts us. It moves us to speak the very words of life to others as we go about in our weekly work. I pray for these as they go about work this week that you'll keep them safe, that you'll make their hands diligent at the work that they're doing, and that others will see them and recognize there's a man of God, a woman of God in their midst. Thank you again, again, Lord, for all your goodness to us. Thank you for the food that's been provided today. Thank you for the hands that have prepared it. I pray a blessing on them. Go with us now, Lord. Bring us back tonight in Jesus' name.